0: Jesus has authority over creation. We've seen that in verses 23 to 27. Uh, Jesus speaks, that's all he does, utters a word, and the storm is stilled. Uh, Those who are with him are struck with awe. What kind of man is this? They're saying. And then in the passage after that, the one preceding this one we're looking at today, Jesus has authority not only over creation, And the natural realm, but the spiritual realm, he has authority over demons. He speaks, demons obey him. Again, the people in that region are struck with awe at what Jesus has done. And because of that, plead, leave us, leave us. And as we see in chapter 9, he does. Verse 1. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. At this, some teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk but so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins then he said to the paralytic get up take your mat and go home and the man got up and went home when the crowd saw this they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to men. Amen. This is God's words. So here we see Jesus has had authority over creation, natural realm, now over the spiritual realm. Matthew's been keen to help us see that these are evidences of the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, deity himself. And now he start, he's showing us that Jesus is the divine Son of God, by demonstrating that He has the prerogative, the authority to grant forgiveness for sins. And it's fascinating when you see what is presented before Jesus. What I want to do is just walk through it with three points. If you want to map it out or take in notes, here's the first thing sin, not sickness, is humanity's greatest problem. Two, Jesus. No one else is humanity's only hope. And three, faith, nothing else is humanity's necessary response. This all happens when some men bring to Jesus a man who is unable to feel or move from the waist down. He is a paralytic. Verse 2, look at it with me. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. I wonder if you've ever thought about what that would feel like. What that would be like it must be a terrible thing I remember when I was younger Superman was a hero you know Christopher Reeve playing Superman in those films in the 80s yes that's how old I am you wouldn't guess it was a phenomenal thing to see and then I remember just being so startled and surprised at the news I think it was in 98 or around about that time uh when he had a horse riding accident that left him quadriplegic. He couldn't move or feel from the neck down. He gave a revealing interview, it was 98, because he gave a revealing interview with the Guardian newspaper in 2002 to give insight into what it's like to live with paralysis. He said, in the morning when I open my eyes, the first thing I have to do is, well, wait. No matter what time I open my eyes, wait for someone to come and help me. I need my wife, my nurse, my physio to come and to sit me up in bed to feed me and care for my bodily needs that I can't care for myself. The whole article is just quite stark. He doesn't hold back whatsoever. And the physical struggles of the paralysis just sound terrible to us. But one of the most poignant and heart-rending parts of the interview is when he talks about the emotional side of the paralysis when he reveals his deepest longing I long to be on my feet again he says in my dreams I'm never paralyzed I'm skiing I'm riding I'm walking no doubt the paralytic in this story was similarly debilitated Dependent on others to care for his own needs. The people who brought him must have loved him very much. Because in this time, they had the additional stigma and burden of being outcasts. But he must have come well aware of his need. And with a deep, deep longing in his heart to be healed. To walk again. And in his longing, he's brought to Jesus and laid at his feet. Now... This story of how he arrived at Jesus' feet is told in a little bit more detail in Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5. Many of us will know the story. The entrance could not be more dramatic. The men carrying this paralytic to the house that Jesus is in find no way in because of the crowds that have already gathered. But that doesn't stop them. They go up onto the roof and they decide that they're going to install a complimentary skylight for the owner of the house. And they lowered the man down. They must have located Jesus somehow. lowered the man down right at Jesus' feet. It couldn't be more dramatic. They unroofed the roof, is what the text says in Mark 2. Now, if that happened in here, yeah, do you know, if, if, if there was rumbling up there and a little foot came through the, ground, through the roof or something like that, you'd stop listening. I'd stop preaching. We'd be like, what is going on? It was, it was a dramatic thing. It was astounding. And when this man is lowered and laid at the feet of Jesus, everybody in this room can see what he needs. Oh, he needs healed. Look at the poor condition of this man. But imagine everybody's surprise when they hear, hear Jesus say, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Now, no doubt, many are thinking, "What's well, that's not what he came for. Look at the man. I mean, the cynics might even say, well, how typical of religion. In the face of real need, all you can do is empty words that never really, really deal with the big issue. Get real. He's not a criminal. He's a cripple. Deal with the issue. Well, that's not how Jesus sees it at all. To Jesus, there are two ailments here. There's the paralysis. That's obvious. But there's a the sin. And of those two, Jesus clearly judges sin to be the more serious condition. And the crowd are surprised at that, no doubt. And I wonder, are you? In our mind, we can line up the challenges that face us. Have a think about that just now. What's, go- what's been going on this past week? What's facing you in the coming weeks that you're anxious about? Maybe some of us are experiencing long-term struggles with health or work or finance or something like that. If we line up all those things in our minds, those things are actually absolutely dwarfed by our sin before God. That's the reality of how he sees it. Because the Bible teaches us that sin is our greatest problem. Now, when we sin, whenever we live without reference to God, not being, not doing the very thing that he has made us for, You see, God has made us to live under his loving instruction and to glorify him in all his beauty, in all his majesty for being who he is, the creating, sustaining, loving God of all the universe. To find our joy in him as he delights in us. That's what we're all made for. But we choose to live under our own rules. Isaiah 53 says each one of us turns to our own way Now what we do in that sense is to ignore god And that is to demean him To reject his instruction well that's to rebel against him To turn, our own, to, 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 turn to our own way is actually to defy him it, it becomes a challenge to his authority We think we can rule our own lives and in 1 John chapter 3, we see that that's a major problem because it makes us lawbreakers. In 1 John 3, you see sin is lawlessness. Sin brings us before the bar of the heavenly court and declares us guilty. And Romans 3, uh, 6 tells us that the penalty for that sin is death and hell. Now, given the seriousness of of what I've just said there, the seriousness of sin and the judgment it deserves, surely now we can start to understand why Jesus judges the sinfulness of the paralytic to be more serious than his paralysis. Surely we can start to understand why forgiveness is more important than healing. This is our greatest need. That's why Jesus says, verse 2, your sins are forgiven. It's greater than saying, take up your mat and go home. Because the best thing that we could ever hear is the news that our sins have been forgiven. Our sins are no longer held against us. The best news we can ever hear is that you're no longer guilty in his sight, but pardoned. No longer an enemy, but a friend. It's great news. And that's what forgiveness is. It's a deliberate decision to not hold an offence against the person who has sinned against you. Now don't misunderstand that. It's not that you ignore the offence or refuse to deal with an offender, but rather it's that deliberate choice to deal with them for good reasons as if they were not guilty. As if they had not committed the offence against you in the first place. And that's what God does for us whenever He forgives us our sin. And He is the one that we need to seek forgiveness from. All of that serves to show us that sin and not sickness is humanity's primary problem. Every one of us needs forgiveness. The question we ask is where do we find it? Who forgives sin? Well, where this man found it? Jesus and no one else is humanity's only hope. For forgiveness. This is the second point. Now when Jesus said your sins are forgiven, he spoke as one giving out the forgiveness, dispensing it. He's dishing it out. The question is, can he do that? Now that, this is something that has caused outrage in the hearts of the religious leaders. Look with me at verse three. Some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow is blaspheming. They can't believe he's just said this. He is slandering God by claiming to do what God alone can do. That's what it means to blaspheme. And what they're thinking is only God can forgive sins. How can this man Jesus forgive sins if no one's sin is an offense against him? well, their theology's right, let's face it. Isaiah forty-three twenty-five says, I, says God, am he that blots out your transgression. And they would know Psalm 51, verse 4, David's, King David's famous prayer of repentance, where he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you, God, are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Now, people who hear that quotation from psalm 51 and know the background of the story of david's adultery with bathsheba and murdering organizing uh, the murdering basically of uh, her husband on the front lines of battle we say hang on a minute he sinned against so many other people in that situation he sinned against bathsheba by luring her into his bedroom and her husband uriah he basically had him killed by putting him in the front lines and yet David can turn around and say, against you, Lord, against you, and you only have I sinned. What's that all about? Well, David is expressing the ultimate reality of our sinfulness. That even though we must seek forgiveness from the people that we sin against, the people we've wronged, the people we've offended, ultimately the one we need forgiveness from is God himself. And Jesus, and these guys know it, here is claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the one who can hand out forgiveness. So the theology of, their, of the leaders, if you like, is right. But their views on who Jesus is are just completely wrong. They understand what he's claiming, don't miss that. But they just don't believe it. That's why he accuses them of sinning. Look with me at verse 4. Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? They're sinning by what they're thinking. Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your heart? And he wants them to know that he is God and that he has authority to forgive sins. We've been waiting for this since Matthew chapter 1. We've heard the angel proclaim, You shall call his name Jesus, for he will what? Save his people from their sins. That's what we've been waiting for. We've had amazing teaching all the way. But this is Matthew just starting to bring out to the fore. Chapter 9, he's starting to bring it more into the foreground. Yeah, this is what he's going to do. And actually, this is the only occasion in the whole book of Matthew when Jesus forgives an individual directly. But he's trying to show them this is what he's here to do. How does he do it? Look with me at verse 5. He's going to demonstrate that he is God and has authority to forgive sins, first of all, by making them think. He's going to ask them a question. Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. Or to say, get up and walk. What do you think? What do you think is the answer to that question? What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven. Or take up your mat and walk. It's got you thinking, hasn't it? So it's got them thinking. Because actually, it's quite complex. Because on the one hand, you can say, well, if it's which, which is easier to say? You could say it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because no one can actually prove whether or not you've done the forgiving. So it's kind of easy to say that. But on the other hand, if you say take up your mat and walk, then all eyes are going to be on the person that you've said this to and they're gonna, immediately they're going to know whether or not you're a fraud. So it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. But I wonder how the religious leaders thought of that. Remember their theology? They know only God can forgive sins. So which is easier to say? Well, in one sense, they've seen in in the history of Israel, people like Elijah and others like him who have performed miracles, raised people from the dead, healed people, performed miraculous things, but not one of them ever, ever, ever claimed to be God and claimed to forgive anyone's sins. So perhaps for the religious leaders, the harder thing to say and the impossible thing to do for a person would be for a human being to say to another human being, your sins are forgiven. The harder thing is to forgive the sin. What do you think? I don't know what it is. All I know is when I look at it, both are impossible. And what does Jesus do? He takes the two effectively impossible things for a man or a woman or anybody to do without the divine help of God and he's going to put them both together both the expression of the forgiveness the declaration of absolution from sin for this man and he's going to take the healing and put them together and say so that you may know so that you will never ever miss this that I have authority to forgive sins. He's going to put them together. But just before he does that, he gives them that little bit of nudge towards the recognition of his deity and his authority to forgive sins. Because what does he call himself in verse 6? He calls himself the son of man. Now the son of man, as you read through your Bibles, you're going to find that written in two ways. You're going to find it written with small s and small m, son of man which in old Hebrew text was basically a way to refer to one's humanity. It just means that you're a son of Adam, a daughter of Adam. It means that you are a human. But it's also used with a capital S and a capital M as a title. So the question that has to be asked is, which is it with Jesus? Well, quite clearly, in the context of this healing miracle and the expression of forgiveness, he's claiming to be more than a man. He's claiming divine prerogative to forgive sins. So that takes us right to Daniel 7. Where what you have, as Martin read to us earlier, was a picture of anything but a man. Anything but a man. I mean, in my vision at night I looked and there was before me a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Approached the ancient of days, God himself. And led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. Those things are not given to a man. Those are gods and all peoples, nations and men of every language worshipped him that does not happen with a man he is declaring himself to be God and he's nudging them in that direction by saying "The son of man title in Dan- Daniel 7 yeah it's here, this is what I'm doing I'm exercising that majesty that authority by doing this look with me at verse 6 So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he's, I love it, he's talking to them. So that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he does that, you can see it in the movies, can't you? If they depicted it, that dramatic shift to the paralytic. He turns, take up your mat. Get up, take up your mat and go home. And what happened? Verse 7, instantaneously. The man got up and went home. A lot must have happened in that instant, even from the perspective of the paralyzed man. One moment he felt nothing, surely the next moment he felt something. One moment he was motionless, the next moment he was moving. He was instantly healed. It's none of this nonsense that we can see on our TV sometimes where healing apparently starts by someone falling over uncontrollably. No, this man rose with ultimate control over his lower part of his body, which he had no control over before, and he, well, wouldn't it have been a wonderful thing to watch this man go home? Wouldn't it have been a wonderful thing to be one of his friends and partner with him and go with him on his way home as he went back to tell his family, look at what the Lord has done. For me, you would skip, wouldn't you? I would skip. I would jump. It must have been amazing to see. And this physical healing then provided the proof that the man had been, as Jesus said, forgiven. And that Jesus really was God in the flesh and demonstrated that he and he alone is humanity's only hope for forgiveness. And once again, verse 8, the crowd are filled with awe. Just as they have been in the last two passages. Who is this man? Even the wind and waves obey him. Please leave us. As the people of the Gadarenes said. They are struck with awe. And they glorified and praised God. Who had given authority. Such authority to men. Well they still don't quite get it yet do they? It's not just that he has given authority to men. It's that he as the God man has authority to forgive sins. So if sin and not sickness then is humanity's greatest problem. And if Jesus and no one else is where humanity finds forgiveness, the question must naturally be, how do we receive it? Well, this text shows us, again, number three, through faith. Faith and nothing else is humanity's necessary response. The appeal is to come to Jesus in faith. Faith is the hand by which Christ's forgiveness is received. But how do we know that the paralytic, and even as Mark and Luke highlight for us, that his friends had faith? Well, verse 2, really in this passage, tells us Jesus saw their faith. What does that mean? What do you mean he saw their faith? Well, some might say, well, he saw them ripping through the roof. That presents a very wonderful picture of someone in need having the conviction that Jesus is the one to turn to with that need, despite the obstacles. That's a very good illustration of faith, isn't it? But that's not actually Matthew's concern. As I said earlier, he doesn't even mention the roof ripping. So that's not what Matthew's talking about. Instead, when it says he saw their faith, it's telling us, again, I think, that Jesus saw belief and contrition That is sorrow over sin in the heart of this man. For we cannot be saved apart from that. We can't believe that reading the rest of our Bibles, understanding who God is and how he feels about sin and what is necessary to come to him and uh, and to be reconciled to him, that is faith, belief, and repentance, sorrow over sins to the extent that we turn from it and turn to God, appealing for his grace to walk in his ways. Jesus must have seen this in this man. But I think this is another nudge from Matthew to say, see, it's another evidence of his deity. He's claiming to be the divine son of man from Daniel 7. He's demonstrating it by pronouncing forgiveness of sins and by healing this man in a wonder." But it's another evidence of his deity to say that he sees their faith. And Matthew, throughout this passage, Matthew has deliberately included those little details that show that Jesus is more than a man and perceives more than a man. Verse 4, he knows the thoughts of the scribes. They don't say. I don't think it's the fact that he's reading their faces. I think it's the fact that what Matthew says, he knows what they were thinking. Verse 7, as well, he only needs to utter a word and a paralyzed man is instantly healed. Now Matthew's saying we know he's God because he searches the heart of a man. He reads our hearts like an open book. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And therefore as he looks and as he sees their faith, he sees their belief that if I just come to Jesus, whether it's with my malady or whether it's with my sinful malady, If I come with sorrow over sin in the hope of finding mercy in God's sight, I'll find forgiveness and Jesus must have seen it. And if he sees that in us and we come to him in faith, believing that he can forgive us of our sins to make us right with God, when we come with sorrow over sin, then we too can find forgiveness. So the encouragement for us. If you're here today and you're not a Christian. Jesus is the one who can forgive. Our sins. Your greatest problem is not. What this world will say. It's not sickness. That threatens to ruin your life. It's sin. Or that will ruin your eternal life. And sin is no little thing. Even though we sin against other people, the way we gossip, the way we shout in anger at our kids or express hatred towards someone, well, sure, we need forgiveness for those things. We need to ask for forgiveness for those things. But ultimately, those sins are against God himself, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight but Jesus is the only hope of forgiveness in love he came into this world and I think even as he is pronouncing forgiveness on this man he knows the only way that this man will dance his way home is if I direct myself to a cross the only way he can dance is if I die and I think the shadow of the cross even at this point must have loomed heavy on Jesus at this point is coming he knows the only way that he, in this text, and we here can find forgiveness is if he dies on the cross and sheds his blood. So, come to him in faith. He is gracious. Trust that he died to pay the penalty for our sins and know the likeness of a heart in which there is no condemnation and Join us today, those who already believe, in praising our pardoning, loving God. But what about us, those of us who are brothers and sisters in the faith, this church family? What does this text say to us? What are our application points from this now that we have seen, and we already know that Jesus has authority to forgive sins? Well, I think there are three things here. Since Jesus Christ has authority to forgive sins, we can be sure that when we confess our sins, we are truly forgiven. How often do I feel it or speak to people who experience it that we walk under the burden and the shame of our guilt? We walk around like we're not forgiven. And that impacts our walk with God. Don't you know that experience? It can deter you from coming to Him. It can make you feel down so that you will not take time to pray as we ought to. It certainly makes us keep our mouths closed. We just think, well, how can I tell anyone about Jesus? I'm really not living up to it myself. Well, it shows that we have not really understood and applied the gospel to ourselves fully. Christ knows the depths of our sinfulness, even as this text highlights for us, greater than we do and yet extends that forgiveness. While we were yet sinners, Paul says, Christ died for us. Did we not grasp that our sin did not deter him from a cross or shrink his love for us? We do not need to walk under guilt and shame, but walk in the, with a lightness in our hearts at the forgiveness that we have received in Christ Jesus. We can live every day in the joy and blessedness of the man in psalm 32 the man who knows his transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered blessed is the man whose sin the lord does not hold against him are you not glad brothers and sisters that the lord does not hold your sins against you you do not sound glad mm-hmm. what a british response oh i'm delighted can you not tell you know it is an amazing thing. I know my sin. Man alive. He does not hold that against me. <laughs> Praise God for that. That is a phenomenal thing. It is a phenomenal thing. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not hold against him. Isn't it wonderful to read Hebrews and wonder over the phrase, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. What? You're omniscient. How can you forget? Well, it's not that he forgets what that you've actually committed the sin, it's that it's an expression of forgiveness, brothers and sisters. Grab hold of it and believe it. It's that he will not choose to regard those sins as against you any longer. Why? Because Jesus has done away with them on the cross. And do we think that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is insufficient for dealing with our sin? And all God's people said, no, good. No, it is sufficient. We are forgiven. Walk in the light of his forgiveness, brothers and sisters. Confess your sin freely to him. He receives you with kindness and love. Confess your sins to one another that we might make headway in these things because he's given us one another to serve us in our sinfulness. But remember his grace abounding. For the worst of sinners, like us, secondly, since sin not sickness is our greatest problem, we must take care how we arrange our prayers. Our instinct, I feel, is always to pray for health needs, for temporal relief of suffering, over against the more pressing prayer for relief from eternal suffering, which is worse. I mean, we might look in our friends or this is our unbelieving friends we're talking about with sadness. When they're diagnosed with something terrible, okay, as an example. How do we pray? Well, while we should pray about the struggles that they face because of their condition, the ailments that they'll suffer, etc. Ultimately, we need to pray that they would find forgiveness. We mustn't make the mistake of pitying them more for their illness than for their sinfulness. Thirdly and lastly, This matters for mission. The news that Jesus has authority to forgive sins and is willing to forgive those who come before him in faith and repentance is unknown to the majority of people in our city and to countless millions across this world. Do you care? Do we get so tied up in ourselves that we forget? May God help us to see even through this text, the good news of Jesus forgiving the sins of others and let it create in us an urgency to tell others who, whom we know at present are dying in their sins. May we tell them about Jesus. When they wonder about the guilt and shame over the sins that they have committed in their life, tell them about David. Take them to Psalm 51 and ask them to pray have mercy on me O God according to your unfailing love according to your great compassion blot out my transgressions wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge You're right in your estimation of me, Lord and God Surely I was sinful at birth Sinful from the time my mother conceived me We've always been sinners But surely you desire truth in the inner parts You teach me wisdom in the inmost place Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed talk about conviction. Rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then, here's the mission, then I will teach transgressors your ways. They will join the mission in telling others. And sinners will turn back to you. That's our great hope for this city and for the nations. Irrespective of how difficult it looks and irrespective of how nervous we feel. Jesus, the Son of Man, has authority to forgive sins. And those whom we love and know around us need it before they die or before he returns. Let's pray.